Now we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And we'll read the verses that conclude the chapter, starting at verse 30. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30 and following. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still. And called them, and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to think on the last verse there that we read, particularly the first phrase. So Jesus had compassion on them. I want us to think on that theme, that thought, and may the Lord bless his word to us. Before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to bless in the word. Lord, we pray now that you'll bless the word of God. We pray that you will use it and help us to hear the voice of the shepherd who is to us not only our king, but also the very lover of our souls. I pray that thou wilt, for his sake and for the name's sake, bless us and meet with us in the word today. Guide thought and word through the power of the Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reading the account of the two blind men healed by the Lord, I was struck by one little word that caused me to stop and ponder this moment again. And that word is the word so. So, Jesus had compassion. Now, I suggest that there is a very great message in that little word. It is a message that could relate to the innumerable incidences that surrounded the ministry of Christ in the day that he walked among men. And I say that the, that same message still applies today. I will also say this, that undoubtedly the incident that we read of here is very familiar and one that we have heard used in sermons many times. In fact, it has been considered in my own mind to the extent that when I read it, I find myself asking what could possibly be said about this incident that has not already been said numerous times. Well, I must also say this. We must not let our minds suggest to us that since there is such a great familiarity 
with a portion that we can immediately conclude that there can be nothing be said that has not been heard and said before. In other words, we must never tune out and allow our minds to say, well, here's another rerun. I guess I will find something else to occupy my time. Well, I hope that we will not do that here. This incident differs in Matthew's Gospel from the recounting of the matter in the other Gospels in which it is listed. In Luke, we are told that the incident occurs as the Lord enters Jericho, a very large city, and in that day probably had a population of nearly 100,000 people. In Matthew and Mark, we are told that it occurred as the Lord was leaving Jericho. In Matthew, we are told it involved two men, whereas in Mark and Luke, we are told it was just one. Mark is the only account in which the blind man that was healed is identified as Bartimaeus. Now, skeptics and critics would say that these differences point to errors in the scriptures, and it questions the veracity of the complete inspiration and integrity of the Bible. I will simply mention that this is not so. With a city so large, is it not possible that the Lord healed a blind man upon entering the city? And so many beggars and invalids being in that city that was so large, the news of what took place spread so rapidly throughout the city that it was replicated by two men as the Lord left the city. The more prominent of the men being Bartimaeus, who became well known in the church. I don't see that we need to struggle with the particulars. G. Campbell Morgan, though, in considering this portion, makes a very powerful point and calls to us as believers to think on this, not just for the sake of those that receive the benefit of the Lord's ministry. He said that though the subjects and the settings of the incident are notable, and what happened to the men gives us all hope and great encouragement, The best thoughts as we think on this portion of Scripture should be reserved for the king. The miracle is but a tool and call to consider Christ and not just the wonder of a healed sinner. And I want us to take what time we have today to think about that word that I mentioned previously, the word soul. And what it tells us about the king. We will allow those healed to furnish the setting and serve as examples of what we find out about the king, the Lord Jesus. I would propose to you this morning that the word soul suggests that there is a reason or a cause for the compassion 
that the Lord showed to these men and in fact shows to all of his people. So, the Lord Jesus had compassion. What was the reason? What does so point to? What is the cause for the Lord's wondrous ministry of mercy? Well, my proposition to you this morning is simply simply this. The compassion of the Lord to his people has a definite cause. The compassion of the Lord to his people has a definite cause. So I want to think in the first place, and I only have just a couple of points here this morning. I want us to think on the cause. The cause. The question that naturally comes to the fore at this point is, what was the cause of the so? Let me say it again. What was the cause of the so? What sparked the compassion that brought the Lord to extend his mercy? Well, I want to think first on what I'm calling the natural deduction, some things that we might come up with as reasons why the Lord was compassionate to these men or to any of us. Uh, these are the conclusions that are sparked by the thinking of the natural man. And I will say this, that we as man-centered thinkers by nature conclude that it was something seen in the moment that brought the Lord to, to the place of responding in a tender-hearted way to these men. Well, let's ask a couple of questions then. What was it then? If that's the case, he saw something in the moment, he saw something in the man, what was that? Well, let's offer some suggestions and see if perhaps they actually could be uh, fitting the question as an answer. Was it then, was the cause, the pitiable tone of the cry of these men as they called out for mercy? Was it the character or the quality of the cry itself? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Was there something in that, in the way that their voice sounded, that caused the Lord to stand still and then call for them and then ultimately have compassion on them? Well, I would just say this. Keep in mind that the crowd heard their cry and their cries produced great annoyance. In fact, it actually produced efforts to silence them. I would suggest to you very frankly that I doubt that this has any bearing in the situation at all. The quality of the cry. Now I want us to step back and say sometimes we think the reason why the Lord hears us is when we cry to him in a certain way. If we are sincere enough, if we are sorrowful enough, if we have enough of a pitiable uh, heart and so forth, that that's the reason why the Lord will have mercy on us. I suggest that was not the case here and it's not the case for us. Second, was it the power of their plea? Well, what was their plea? Lord, that we might receive our sight. Well, certainly this is a great need. But many have lived in the plan of God without sight. We can think of many instances we can think of other maladies that God in his eternal purposes and for his glory has called men to endure and has been 
that which actually was a badge of honor for those that were called to go through it. Paul speaks of his suffering, his malady, as that which causes him to glory. I will glory in the Lord and I will glory in my sufferings. I would suggest that just the power of their plea to have their eyes restored was not sufficient as a cause for the heart of the Lord to be brought to the point of compassion. Well, was it maybe the present condition of their persons? Maybe they were just so needy looking. Um, Maybe uh, it was because these men were beggars and paupers. Well, certainly they were. But still, you think about it this way, even though they were blind, the fact that they arose and came to the Lord Jesus would suggest that they could still hear, they could still walk. They were not in the worst of health. There were things about them that you would say, oh, that's, that's regrettable. That is really too bad. And we feel for them. But still, again, you'd have to say that men perhaps have even been in worse shape than they Well, we might even have to say this, or ask this. Was it the unfair life that they had to face? It was just not right. It was just, it was unfair that they had to live their days without their sight. And therefore, because of the fact that it was unfair that they should suffer, the Lord Jesus stopped. Well, no. No, and again, as I said, countless others shared the hardness hardness that these men saw, and even worse. So if the pitiable state that these men were in, though hard and provoking sympathy, though I would point out not from the multitude, though this can be argued, it is, I say, not the supreme cause for compassion. So we would ask then, what was the real cause? What was the reason that the Lord's heart was extended to these men? Well, I come then to my second half of this point. The cause, or the supreme reason, is this. And let me, before I even offer that, let me ask a question to set my answer up. Were these men blind by some accident or element of chance? Well, we know that the Lord pointed to other instances where the malady was something that was in the plan of God for the sick. It was for the glory of God. Certainly remember another blind man, the young blind man, and the questions were asked, who did sin, this man or his parents? Well, neither. The Lord planned it for him because it was in the plan of God that God would glorify himself. And so again, I point to that and say that in other instances, the Lord allowed the malady to be something that was, in fact, used of God as a tool. But I say the answer lies simply in this. That the Lord Jesus has ears that are ever open to the cry of his sheep. We read that in John chapter 10 this morning. And his heart is ever toward them. There's the reason. I know my sheep. In other words, I am thinking of my sheep. I am loving my sheep. I am considering my sheep. I am giving myself for my sheep. My heart is bound up 
with the welfare of those that the Father has given me. And of those that the Father has given me, I will lose none. Christ loves his sheep. There's the supreme reason. Christ loved these men. J.C. Ryle makes a comment. And I'm going to just read you a couple paragraphs or a couple of sentences that he says uh, on this subject and about the reason that I'm speaking of. He says, We see here an illustration of that old truth which we can never know too well the mercifulness of Christ's heart toward the sons of men. The Lord Jesus is not only a mighty Savior, but merciful kind and gracious to a degree that our minds cannot conceive. Well, might the Apostle Paul say that the love of Christ passeth knowledge, Ephesians 3 and 19. Like him, let us pray that we may know more of that love. We need it. When we first begin our Christian course, poor, trembling, penitents, and babes in grace, we need it afterwards as we travel along the narrow way, often erring, often stumbling, often cast down. We shall need it in the evening of our days when we go down the valley of the shadow of death. Let us grasp the love of Christ firmly and keep it before our minds. We shall never know it till we wake up in the next world how much we are indebted to it. How much we are indebted to the love of Christ. So I suggest to you the cause, the reason that for the word so, is the covenant love that Christ has for his redeemed. He will not lose any. Further, he will not miss the call of any. And further, he will not fail to heal any, though it may be in a time not seen here. So is but a little word. But in this case, it drives the eyes from the miserable to the merciful. That little word leads our minds from the blind to the blessed himself. I say, here's a great message. In all miseries, we are to look for the loving compassion of Christ Jesus. It is an ordained gift that will be found of all his people. For Christ loves his sheep. So Jesus had compassion. Again, not because of the men, not because of the crowd, not because of the moment or the maladies that they faced. He heard and stopped and had compassion because he ever loves his own. My second point is this. I want us to see the conclusion. Since the Lord's full compassion and help was seen in this moment, what conclusions can I make for myself? as I bring my broken self and blindness to the Lord? Well, I suggest these as some conclusions. First, 
I think we can all conclude that the maladies and injuries of my past I'm putting this in the framework of sin and sinfulness and unbelief and failure and the ruining of a gospel testimony the maladies and injuries of my past are no disqualifier of the Lord's compassion I think we as fallen men in our crooked thinking often are convinced that because of the failures and sins of life that the Lord will hardly have anything to do with me and if he does have something to do with me it's only because there is some covenant provision that requires it but he doesn't want to have to deal with me because look at me look at what I am look how awful I am I'm going to say as a plain truth that that mind that conclusion that thinking is so far from the truth that we may safely call it the opposite of the truth that is opposite of the truth Christ came to save us from our sins and I say more emphatically the Lord knows nothing of the idea of if only that is if only he could see something different in me things would be solved there is no such thinking by the Lord the Lord knows nothing again I say of the idea of if only that is not the way the Lord thinks that's not the way the Lord operates the Lord does not look in a, in a conditional sense it is because always with the Lord the word is because the Lord knows what we are he knows why we are what we are he knows how bound we are to what we are yet he commends his love and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us or you could put even if you want to there the truth Christ has compassion on us God commends his love in that even though we are utterly disqualified in our minds in our thinking by our past failures and sins Christ died for us Christ has compassion on us he has compassion on sinners because he loves us as his own now wait a minute certainly my sinful heart and ways affect his dealing with me well I will say this if you are one who considers this and sees a hard heart you may see the hand of God's chastening but I would say this God's hand of chastening is always guided by the heart of compassion the Lord chastens because he has compassion the Lord corrects because he loves the Lord brings us to the end of ourselves because we are his own. Now I say this, that the maladies and injuries of my past are no disqualifier of the Lord's compassion. It was seen with these men, it's seen with us. 
Also, we might conclude this, that the conclusions and judgment of men are no influence on the Lord's compassion. The people that were there that day were telling this man or these men to be quiet, to go away, as it were, to leave the Lord Jesus alone. Their conclusion was that these men were not worthy of the Lord's attention at that moment. Again, I stress this crowd had a very different view of the men that did, than did the Lord. And that is because the conclusions of the flesh is that mercy is either inappropriate, meaning it is an interruption or out of place, or that it's beyond reach for those that are the needy, the infirmed, the dirty. Well, we should look to make any conclusions about whether mercy will be ours other than the conclusions of men. And by that, I want you to think of your conclusion as man. We don't make the conclusions about whether the Lord's going to be merciful based on our experience. We don't base it on our counselors. We are to base our conclusions about whether the Lord will be merciful to us only on the word of God. Well, there is another point that is that true faith Though shrouded in awful flesh and failure, is not kept from the eyes of the Lord. These men had faith. The Lord saw that. It was not hidden. The Lord Jesus heard their voice of faith. It caused him to stop, even though he was being pushed along by hundreds, if not thousands of people. My point to you, my conclusion is this question will the Lord Jesus stop for faith though your faith is weak and it may be blind the answer is yes oftentimes our faith don't, doesn't understand much our faith looks at things and says this just doesn't seem to add up in my thinking I can't see what the Lord's doing why the Lord allows this or not we are blind to the reasons of our God in so many ways that does not keep the Lord from helping us. He doesn't tell us, I can't help you till you understand. I can't give you sight until you have sight. And say, huh? Well, that's right. You can't expect the Lord to heal your blindness unless you're blind. Well, I want to ask your the last thought. Those are conclusions that we can make about this, but I want you to think of me finally about what I'm calling the questions. In fact, the last point is questions more than a point. And I say it's a call to consider. Questions to our own hearts. Questions to our own walk with God. So I ask these questions. And I ask it of you to think with me this morning. Number one. In what way are you blind? In what way are you blind? What is your true blindness or malady? Can you name it? Can you hold it up before the Lord? Is that something that the Lord can help you with? So there's a question I think that we all need to ask ourselves, especially in the light of what we have here in this incident. What 
is your blindness. I also ask this. Can you expect your blindness to be healed of Christ? That thing that you just would perhaps name in your own heart and mind. Of what is your malady? What is it that causes you to cry out to the Lord Jesus? Can you expect your blindness to be healed of Christ? Is that what the message of the little word, so, would suggest? I ask you, do you hear the Holy Spirit testifying to your own heart? What's the answer to that? So, Jesus had compassion on them. How about you? And then my last question is this. What are you to do now? What are you to do now when you're faced with this within the last number of seconds you may be even brought up to your own blindness all these things are before you what are you to do now well I think but he won't hear me well let me say it to you this way I fully believe that as the Lord Jesus was walking through the streets of Jericho as he was leaving that place, thronged by the thousands, in a moment where there perhaps was a great din of people's voices and the noises of the crowd and the things that were taking place around them, I believe firmly that if these blind men had but whispered, the Lord would have heard them. they belonged to the Lord I hear the voice of my sheep will the Lord hear you if you cry to him well the word so is such a little word but the message it holds is one of immense hope and comfort my question to us is, what will you do? And what will the Lord do? Well, that's the message for this morning. We trust the Lord will bless us for the continued ministry of the Spirit of God that we might find our ability to follow Him in the way Father in heaven, now we pray that you'll bless this word. We pray that you'll let it be that which speaks to our hearts and causes us to rejoice in the prospect of being touched by the hand of Christ and made to be those whose hearts are able to rejoice in the way. Lord, bless us then. Continue to speak to us through the Spirit of God. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.